How we doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by. Um, If this is your first time coming by, I, again, would like to say thank you very much. I hope you enjoy the show. We uh, we got a little bit of background noise going on. Uh, If this is your first time, of course, you don't know. I normally record on my way to work while I'm driving, which is what I'm doing right now. So if there is any annoying background noise, I apologize. I really don't have much control over it. But no one's, literally no one's ever complained about that. I'm just insecure and nervous about the quality of my podcast. But regardless, we can deal with that at a point in time when I actually have time and energy to do so. So, you're still tuning in, you still enjoy the show, and you're coming back to listen to this again. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I hope that all of you are staying well, staying safe, and staying healthy. Um, if you'd like to engage more with me, with the show, to reach out for any reason, ask any questions, suggest any um, guests that should come on, suggest shows that I should try to go on, um, you can reach out to me on my social media at In Defense of Liberation at uh, on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find me by emailing me at indefenseofliberation at gmail.com. No caps, no spaces, and any of those. But today, I wanted to talk about, uh, first and foremost, the myths of capitalism... And then I would like to use that as a medium to go into a discussion about the myths of communism. Now, if you are interested in these topics, uh, one of the best uh, to talk about it here in the United States has been Michael Parenti, uh, at least when it comes to availability of resources. He's got a million different speeches, a million different books and podcasts and all this shit you can find and listen to, so it's it's pretty useful to use Parenti as a resource, but he's not the only one. There are plenty of other people who have made, you know, a lot of these comments, whether from within the belly of the beast or from without, um, so, you know, Parenti shouldn't be anyone's sole voice of reason, but his analysis of things like U.S. empire, of imperialism in the 21st century, as well as the reactionary nature of and process of uh, eliminating and overthrowing the Soviet Union and really existing socialist states since, you know, his career really begun, began. Um, So, you know, feel free to look into those because that is where a lot of the inspiration and the information for this episode will be coming from, among other things that I've read and will be pulling from. 
But so let's start first and foremost with talking about what you and I, the working class, are dealing with today. Let's, you know, center us in our context. So it's 2021. We are over a year and a half into the global pandemic, which has been known as COVID-19. All across the world, this pandemic has ravaged uh, and really destroyed, if not utterly dismantled, any uh, moderately progressive, uh, any pro-human um, rights, any pro-civil rights uh, legislation, uh, governments, uh, uprisings, etc. that have taken place uh, have seen whatever issues they were already dealing with, whatever forces they were already up against, double, triple, quadruple, and even, you know, multiply by a hundred with the onset of this pandemic and the different uh, things which it has intensified. Uh, Most of those things stemming from an economic basis. Now, what I mean by this is even if you're talking about wanting to have, you know, free housing for people, you want equality between races and genders, you want to restructure the government and rewrite the Constitution. Uh, All of this shit not only takes power, but it also takes money, uh, the two of which uh, are completely and usually intertwined. The pandemic has led to an awful increase in joblessness, on average, anywhere between 30 to 40% of the U.S. workforce has either been laid off, fired, temporarily let go, or quit their job in the last two years. Um, And that is nothing compared to other countries in the global south, Uh, and other countries who are under the thumb of U.S. imperial aggression and occupancy. We are facing incredible amounts of hunger. Right now, approximately two out of every three people in the world face hunger or starvation in some form or another, whether that be Uh, lack of nutritional food, whether that be uh, food insecurity, meaning there's no reliable source of food, whether that be the pollution of the crops or the uh, water supply or the um, game that uh, those who suffer from hunger are eating uh, is causing toxicity and uh, other kinds of defects. Um, All of these are different forms in which hunger is analyzed um, and understood. Numbers of hunger have been steadily increasing, especially since the onset of the pandemic, 
but in fact, since 2014, um, between 2005 and 2014, you actually had one of the largest declines in world hunger, according to the UN. But it was in the last few years that capitalism has rewritten that script. A bill, a resolution, was actually passed by the United Nations not too long ago that actually cited as a goal food security being brought to the average and the majority of people across the world by 2030. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in a world nine years away from 2030 where something like two to four billion people suffer some form of hunger on a day-to-day basis, that goal is going to be almost impossible to We're working towards a goal which by any means, you know, realistically is impossible under a capitalist system. But the rationality between these resolutions, between the UN, is this idea that if all of the capitalist powers come together, there's a way in which we can make capitalism work for the betterment of all. It's just unfortunately not true. Um, They should read Marx and understand why. We are also seeing a huge increase in uh, the effects of climate change, pollution, environmental disasters. For example, New York City, they just posted an article that New York City is preparing for another similar uh, storm to Hurricane Ida. Now, if you weren't uh, uh, paying attention or didn't see what happened during uh, Hurricane Ida in, I want to say it was in August, uh, it got so bad that altogether 43 people died between New York City, Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania. But on top of that, for example, in New York City, the subways were so flooded that people were walking up uh, with water up to their, you know, hip, just trying to get on the subway. Um, The roads were overflowed with uh, sewage and garbage and all kinds of disgusting things that the city does not pay people to take care of, that the city doesn't have a concern about because usually that dirtiness only affects the poor and marginalized groups within communities. You also saw at one point that there was no ambulances available, that there were so many different ambulances out and they had officially ran out of emergency services to send to people who were in the middle of one of the largest flash floods in recent history. You had people who were told by their government, their local government, to stay inside, to not leave their homes, while living in basement apartments, which flooded and then could not be opened because of the pressure where people and their families died drowning 
in their own apartments, which I'm sure most of them were struggling even to afford paying for. Right now, pollution is so bad that approximately 92% of the world is breathing in toxic or polluted air. That statistic gets much worse when you hear that that is true also for 98% of children across the world. A recent IPCC study in August said that without immediate and intense change to the entire system, we have little to no chance at stopping warming between 1.5 and 2.0 degrees Celsius. Now, if you don't know what that means, that means it's about to get really hot. That means that heat wave back in the early summer on the West Coast where it was 120 degrees in Oregon, 125 degrees in California, that may and will become the new normal. The incredible droughts that all different peoples are suffering across the world will become the new normal unless we have immediate and drastic change to the very system of production and consumption that exists across the world. This all, of course, is connected to and ultimately intensifies and becomes a part of the global pandemic, which is still on the rise, with new variants popping up all across the world, with a lack of vaccines, already produced ones, being given to those in the global south and other oppressed minority regions. This is what is being called vaccine apartheid or vaccine imperialism, where countries like the U.S. and other Western powers are making sure to buy up far more reserves of the vaccine than they require because they would rather give people in the U.S., multiple vaccines so that they don't have to actually give people paid time off for COVID, so that they don't have to close down the economy, so that they don't have to shift money from the military budget to provide people with free housing, free health care, etc. Because if you don't know, companies like Fidelis Blue Cross Blue Shield actually just decided that they were going to be waiving Uh, anything, or I should say waiving, they will be waiving their payment of anything to do with COVID-19 treatment. So you go to the hospital with COVID-19, you got to get put on a ventilator. Guess who gets to pay for that? You. We also have a lack of raw materials which are needed and used in order to make vaccines. In countries like Cuba, who have been suffering under an illegal blockade, which only a few months ago, the UN again voted for the 29th year in a row against the continuation of that blockade in a vote of 182 to 2. The two countries voting in favor of the blockade, of course, being the United States and Israel. But thanks to that blockade, a lot of the necessary raw materials that vaccines require, the Cuban scientists and researchers 
were incapable of acquiring for months. They have two incredibly effective vaccines, one with a 92% effectiveness rate and one with a 98% effectiveness rate. And they have done an incredible job to vaccinate their population and put COVID in the corner where it is more controllable, where it is more understood, and where it is less likely to take off and start killing millions like it is today in the United States. Our numbers are just as high as they've ever been. But because they were lacking in resources, this took six to eight months longer after the research had been done to actually test and materialize these vaccines because they simply could not acquire the raw materials for them. How the fuck is that possible? And then, of course, you have on top of that a shortage in the supply of and a unwillingness to refit factories, whether it be in the United States or across the world, to produce and distribute necessary goods like medicines, foodstuffs, clothing, PPE, and other necessary goods that all come from the outside of countries' borders. So why does this happen? Why is it that in 2021, with all the wealth, with all the power, with all the resources, with all the knowledge, with all the organization that we have, whether it be the UN or other huge uh, uh, universal uh, cooperations intended to, at least based on their word, uh, work together to solve humanitarian crises that entire... Uh, the entire globe is up against. How is it with all of this stuff in place, we are still facing these issues today? Well, I think that, you know, I, I hate to do it to you, but I think a lot of folks know what my answer to this is. Of course, the easy cop-out answer would be capitalism. It's illogical in capitalism to have a healthcare system or any kind of Uh, system of production, accumulation, and consumption where that production, that accumulation, and that consumption is all doled out on an equal base to all of those involved. That is illogical because, I mean, just looking at it from like a, a business perspective, if everyone who came through the store that you owned you, you know, only charge them exactly what you had paid for the good that you have, then eventually you're not going to be able to pay your employees. Eventually, you're not going to be able to have the same products in your store because you won't be able to afford to buy them and ship them in. Eventually, you're going to run out of the ability to keep your business open. You have to charge more than what things are worth in order to make a profit so that you can keep your business open. Capitalism, although on a much larger scale, works very similarly to this. It would be illogical in a system based on profits to produce vaccines for everyone, which no one would have to pay for, including not the governments that they are being given to, because then those huge companies like AstraZeneca... Uh, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, 
they wouldn't be able to make their stockholders and shareholders happy. They wouldn't be able to make a shit ton of money so that they can pass patent laws so that countries all over the world can't actually access these vaccine uh, uh, recipes or anything like that because they don't have the patent rights. Um, That is more logical to capitalism because, again, the logic of capitalism is profit. So therefore, because this is the most profitable thing to do, this is also, in a capitalist system, the most logical. But we take a step further as Marxists to understand that capitalism is not some uh, fantastical or uh, ridiculously uh, abnormal development that is that much worse or that much different than everything that came before it. Capitalism, like all the systems almost up before it, is a class society. We've talked about this on the show. We will continue to talk about this on the show. I will never tire of this. Class society is a society wherein the goods... (laughs) Let me try to say this differently. Class society is a society that is separated distinctly into those who own and those who labor. It is distinctly separated between those who have power and those who are powerless. And it is predicated on the oppression of those without power who have to labor for the benefit of those who own and have the power in order to perpetuate that system forward. All ruling class societies have been predicated on inequality. All class societies have been predicated on a system wherein the marginalized, the uh, oppressed folks are the majority. And yet their oppressors, those who are accumulating the wealth from their labor and their production, are a minority. So how does this shit stay so hidden from us? How do we go through our day-to-day, even when it's not hidden, even when you and I agree that, you know, Republicans and Democrats are both bad, that politicians within a capitalist system exist as an appendage to capital and therefore ultimately serve the interests of capital and its reactionary supporters, a.k.a. the ruling class. How do we stay so silent in our day-to-day monotony without any fight or question of the system? How do we keep going on? Well, it's pretty fucking simple. Michael Parenti makes a little joke about this, and I love it. He's like, you know, people always ask me, Parenti, you're, you're crazy. What, what do you think? You think people are just... You think these guys are just sitting around in a room just going over the ways in which to oppress people? You think they're just sitting in a room talking about this? And he goes, yeah, where else would they be? <laughs> Meaning like, yeah, I, you know, of course, a room is where people talk. Logically, that would be where our oppressors go to talk. <clears throat> it's not so much a question of conspiracy 
when it comes to the fact that there is a incredibly incredibly small group of people who hold all of the power and profits as well as the uh, control of production in their hands in the united states it's something like 120,000 people it's not even one percent that own the majority of the wealth and you know the means of production but even they don't ultimately own the means of production like the banking firms such as the world bank or the imf uh or usa ID and other organizations which it partners with do. But ultimately, it is because the ruling class owns the media. They are the sole arbitrators of our government. They are the politicians. They are the judges. They are the juries. They are the lawmakers and the legislators. They are the mayors, they are the city council members, they are the CEOs, they are the board of directors, they are the generals, the lieutenants, the attorney generals, they are the, you know, the people who maintain dominance over society. So in this way, if, you know, if you're a king or a queen and you have subjects who are coming up to you and they're like i don't understand we work every single day and you tell us that as long as we work and we you know bow to you we will have everything we need we will be given a fair and equal life but yet you know i don't have a home for my children and i haven't had work in in months and you know i uh can't afford food um etc etc the king or queen yourself wouldn't turn around and just go, oh, that's because I'm stealing it from you. Because what I do, I lie to you. And then when I lie to you, you work. And then I take all of the products that you make and I own them myself. And so that, that might be where your confusion comes from. No, you wouldn't do that. That'd be stupid. So neither would the ruling class turn around and say, hey, just so you know, it's not because you're lazy. It's not because poor people deserve it. It's not because struggle builds character. It's not because hard work builds character. But it's because in a capitalist system based on the contradiction between those who labor and those who appropriate the products and the profit from said labor... The uh, system which is based on the continuous growth of the poor and the wealthy is a system where no two within those opposite groups can live an equal and uh, egalitarian life. The wealth, for example, that the U.S. empire has acquired is predicated on the plunder, pillaging, rape, destruction, bombing, occupation, sanctioning, blockading, scorched earthing, napalming, and constant batterment of oppressed and exploited peoples and nations. The size or the accumulation of wealth is directly connected to the exploitation and siphoning off of wealth 
from those who produce it. You don't get rich people without exploiting the shit out of other people. Because, as Michael Parenti says, there is no such thing as poor countries. Countries like Brazil, Argentina, Peru, South Africa, Ethiopia, eyes on Ethiopia, pay attention to Ethiopia, also pay attention to Sudan. Countries like Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, right? All of these countries are fit into a system where their existence has only been based on their need of a colonial and capitalist system for a labor force. Otherwise, look at what happened to indigenous folks in this country. When they couldn't be made a labor force, when they couldn't be made a reserve army, when they couldn't be made to assimilate into society, it was ultimately decided in different ways, in different forms, in different times, that in fact the only way to handle the quote-unquote indigenous problem, according to the ruling class here in North America, was genocide. So we know that those who have not been able to provide labor or profit. Sorry about that. My uh, audio cut out because I got a phone call and I unfortunately have to cut this episode short. But I want to finish on this point that is the capitalist system is directly predicated and founded on the necessity of the working class. So what that means is, no matter how much you'd think otherwise, the rich are wholeheartedly uh, being supported by the poor. In the same way that they say, we, the working class, are a bunch of lazy do-nothings who sit around and just expect handouts. That is some of the most intense projecting you've ever heard since your toxic ex. Um, because holy shit, is that exactly what the ruling class does? So in this way, the necessity of our uh, movement, the important thing that we need to be doing today is actively building a uh, revolutionary mentality, an ideology which the quote-unquote average or regular working-class person can make their own, which explains to them that this is the, in fact, correct way of understanding capitalism, that, in fact, this is not a conspiracy, this is not some crazy, you know, old-timer who's sitting in his room and writing books about Marxist philosophy. This is a 22-year-old former, you know, evangelical conservative kid from a small town in New York who read some books, who talked to some people, 
who did some deep thought and came to the correct conclusions through study about the system that we exist in today. Just because you don't necessarily agree with them, or just because you have been told your whole life not to agree with them, doesn't mean there is nothing here that is not that isn't worth investigation. Now, you can outright disagree with points that I've made. You can outright disagree with my conclusions, which is the capitalist system needs to be overthrown because the majority of people are being oppressed under it and yet also the majority of people because of that system are receiving the technical and practical skills as well as the life experiences which are required under a socialist system to develop. Now, I say this because under a capitalist system, a process known as the socialization of labor develops. And now the interconnectivity of the working class combined with them being the main sources of labor and therefore the main proponents of knowledge of how to labor, how to produce things, the technology, the uh, different programs behind all of the uh, technologies that we use today, the technicians and engineers who build all of our machinery, they now have direct connection to one another. And they also now have a direct connection to and sight of the suffering and oppression of other working class people, whether that's in a town over because now you have to take a car uh, 30 minutes like I do just to find a uh, decent paying job, or whether that's because you have to move to a new state in order to use your degree, or whether that's because you feel that it's necessary to move to a country where health care is a human right, or where education actually is provided to the masses. Any of these examples is a form of what is called the socialization of labor. The working class The people who produce everything that society and therefore human beings require for survival and continued development of their society is built by, organized by, and consumed by the masses, by the majority of the working and oppressed people themselves. And so, therefore, capitalism must come to an end because it has developed the means of production. It has developed the technologies as well as the organizational skills and knowledge of. It has of socialist necessity. It has also developed the production capacity to a point where we right now, even though we are not giving it to them, 
we across the world produce enough food to provide for everyone. Right now, we could and might even have enough vaccines to provide everyone in the world with at least one dose right now. But we don't. We produce enough fucking uh, resources to be able to power incredibly advanced, well-organized, and efficient means of transportation across country and across the world. We have all of the resources, technologies, information, labor, uh, know-how, and uh, facilities to develop, produce, and distribute whatever anyone in the world could ever need. And we have the capability of doing it on an equal enough basis where everyone is given at least enough to survive. But we don't. And that contradiction is what will lead towards capitalism's demise. But it won't do it itself. Because again, we're all going to work hating it every single day. We're posting on Facebook about how mad we are that black, brown, and indigenous people are beaten, killed, imprisoned, and you know, just absolutely abused by police officers across this country and across this world. We are incredibly, incredibly upset with the misinformation and the awful rhetoric that is being spread by reactionary forces about COVID, about the vaccines, etc. But what are we doing about it? Because at the end of the day, I just clocked into work. I'm standing, looking at my safe, getting ready to put money in my drawer so I can go work my eight hours. What are we going to do about it, folks? Because as it stands, we live within the empire. We live within the belly of the beast. The only people, the only people truly capable of doing something to sweep the legs from this empire are those of us within the inside. Because we have the most strategic, the most opportune position. But what are we going to do about it? I will develop this episode into a part two to discuss further uh, what we started with. I do apologize for having to cut it short, but I hope this still was a useful uh, listen. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, Uh, please feel free to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, Please feel free to reach out for whatever reason. Again, I have TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as an Gmail, uh, which all of those are in defense of liberation, no caps or spaces. Um, I would just like to cap off this episode by saying the anti-communist and anti-socialist rhetoric that you hear even among the left is stemmed in an ignorance and an in uh or an unwillingness to learn to study and to actually develop thoughts of our own um i sat within that anti-communist mentality for a long time 
And folks like Michael Parenti are among many who have been able to develop my mind further, convince me to study and think for my own, uh, invited me to learn more about philosophy, economics, politics, sociology, sciences, um, all of these different studies uh, I have now a better grasp on, at least I think, uh, than I did before because of Marxism, because of communism and communist writers, communist events, communist revolutions, communist countries, all of which uh, even those among the left here in the West still condemn and still spend more time talking about than they ever do talking about how to build socialism better today. One of my favorite quotes that I will finish out this episode with is, again, from Michael Parenti. Um, Quote, unquote, true socialists or Western socialists love every single revolution and will support every single revolution except for the ones that succeed. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again next time in part two. I hope you enjoyed this and uh, go check out Michael Parenti's works. All right.